Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I wish that being totally sincere about something meant that you never fail at it. Uh, I had kind of a small experience with this concept about 10 years ago. Uh, my wife, Ellen, and I, at the time, we were dating. And uh, you know, like a lot of dating couples, we were both trying to put our best foot forward. And particularly me, I really had to put my best foot forward because I tried to pretend that I wasn't this nerdy, quirky, weird dude. You know, and so I was always trying to impress her, and I was always trying to make sure that the next date, or the, you know, that this date was better than the last, and that the next one would be better than this one. I was always trying to up the ante, and there was this day where I remember I had planned the perfect date. I mean, it was going to be fantastic. I was going to take her to a nice restaurant, and then we were going to go see a movie that she wanted to see, and then after that, we were going to go down to the waterfront and just sip some coffee and have a good time. And I mean, I was, I was in my nicest shirt, I was wearing my best khaki pants, and she was in a nice dress, and I thought that at this point, I had just reached this new level of being romantic. I mean, I thought, at this point, I have reached a whole new level of boyfriend awesomeness. Like, I, I thought I was Casanova, Don Juan, and Marvin Gaye, all rolled into one man. That's what, I, that's what I thought I was. I was full of myself, way too full of myself. And... Um, I, I went to go pick Elle up at her house, and as soon as I picked her up, I was like, Elle, I am so sorry. I just realized I actually left my debit card over at my parents' house. Can we stop by over there and get it? And she was like, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. So we went from her house over to my parents' house, and we got into the driveway, and I said, babe, you can just sit tight here in the car. I'm gonna go inside and grab my debit card really quick, and I'll be right back, I promise, I'll be right back. And so I ran into the house, and that would have been just fine if I wouldn't have accidentally left the car in neutral. So in my defense, actually I don't have a defense, sorry. Um, so I accidentally left the car in neutral, I had no idea. I th this is the one time in my entire life this has ever happened, but of course it happened while my girlfriend is sitting in the car. And the car, while I was inside, started to move in, how do you say it, a backward direction? And it started to move backward out of the driveway and into the neighborhood street, and then into the driveway of the house across. And Elle, being a ninja, she had jumped out of the passenger seat, jumped into the front seat of the car, and she stopped it with the brake, and it didn't hit anything and nothing like that. Uh, but when I walked outside, I saw there was no car in the driveway. <laughs> and I, I was really offended. I thought to myself, she left for the restaurant without me. And then I looked across the street and I saw my car in the driveway across the street and I go, ah! I mean, that was the exact word, ah! And I, I just come running because at this point I realize I have really screwed up. And so I just, I'm running and I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, she is, she is gonna leave me. And then I get to the car and at this point she's laughing. <laughs> and she tells me the whole story of everything that happened. And I go, I'm an idiot. I am an idiot. I am an idiot. I am so, so sorry. And, you know, and uh, L being L, being she, she got a good laugh out of it. And we ended up having a really great date that night. But that story reminds me of something. It reminds, it reminds me of this concept. You know, I, I wanted... 
I, I was 100% sincere about being the best boyfriend I could be. I was 100% sincere about being everything that she needed me to be, and I was 100% in love with Elle, but I still ended up making such a dumb mistake, such a terrible mistake, a mistake that made me feel embarrassed, that made me feel like a failure, that made me feel like I can't do anything right. And what's interesting is sometimes this is how our relationship with God is. Because here's the thing, it would be one thing if we weren't sincere. Because you know, sometimes when it comes to God, people are not sincere. There's people who will come to church, but they don't want a relationship with God. They don't want to get close to God. And so some bad choices result from that because they didn't even want a relationship with God in the first place. But you know what the most heartbreaking thing of all is? The most heartbreaking thing of all is when you are 100% sincere and all you wanna do is make, is please God. All you wanna do is live for him. All you wanna do is to be the best Christian that you can be, but then you still fail. That is the most heartbreaking thing in the world. It's tough. And if that's something that you've been through either a long time ago or recently, can I tell you a story about a guy in the Bible who knows exactly what that's like? His name is Peter. But that wasn't his original name. His original name was Simon. Simon was a fisherman. Actually, Simon and his brother Andrew and their friends, James and John, they were all fishermen and they thought their whole life was gonna be about fish, but man, were they wrong. Because one day they met someone that they didn't expect. They were cleaning their nets in their boats on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, this preacher shows up. But he's not like a normal preacher. He's different. This guy's different because they start listening to what he has to say. And it's captivating. And there's hundreds of people there to listen to Jesus preach. People had come from all over and they were super enthusiastic because the Bible says they were pressing in on him like he couldn't breathe. They were pressing in on him because they loved him so much they wanted to hear what he had to say. And, and he was preaching a different message than Andrew and Simon had ever heard before. He was preaching a message about the coming kingdom of God and repenting from sin. And, and, and uh, he was telling parables, he was telling stories and everybody was hanging on his every word. Like nobody was drifting, like nobody was was looking down and checking their sundials, you know? Like, everybody's all in. And, and, and the message is incredible, but all of a sudden, to Simon's utter amazement, the preacher stops preaching. Now, that doesn't happen very often. It's hard to get a preacher to stop preaching. But the preacher stopped preaching, and he turned around, and he talked to Simon. And this is what happens. This is what Jesus said. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where it is deeper, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. So Simon and Andrew are in the boat and they can't haul the fish out of the water and so they have to call for backup. They have to call to James and John who are on the shore and they're like, help us. There's the, either there's a thousand fish in this net or we are super out of shape, help us. And James and John come running. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And, some, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter, this is so good, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. How many of us said that to God when we first accepted him? Jesus replied to Simon, I love this, don't be afraid. 
From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. This was the beginning of three beautiful years for Simon. Simon got to see things that nobody had ever seen before. Simon got to see Jesus make paralyzed people walk, blind people see, mute people speak, deaf people hear. And Simon even saw Jesus make dead people come alive. Simon was there on the Mount of Transfiguration where the Bible says Jesus' face shone as bright as the sun and his clothes became as bright as white light and Moses and Elijah showed up and started talking to Jesus, which that was pretty amazing considering the fact that Moses had been gone for 1,300 years and Elijah had been gone for 850 years. Simon was there. Simon was there when Jesus went to a funeral for a little girl. And all these people were crying and they were mourning and Jesus said, she's not dead, she's only asleep. And the so-called mourners laughed at him. And Jesus said, get these people out of the room. You know what, this is not the message, but sometimes before the miracle happens, you gotta get the mockers out of the room. And Jesus said, get these people out of the room, I'm about to do something here. And Jesus walked over to the bed where that little girl was lying down, and Jesus said to her, she, he, he said to her, Talitha kum, which in Hebrew means little girl, get up. And she got up, and she was raised back to life. Simon was there, he was there. And pretty soon, Simon realized that he wasn't just following a teacher, he wasn't just following a preacher, he was following someone who was so much more than that. And I wanna tell you a quick story about Simon Peter that shows us how, how sincere he was, that shows us that he really was 100% all in. This is what happened. So Jesus took the disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, which is a beautiful spring in northern Israel. Maybe some of you have been there. And it's a beautiful place. And uh, they, they just sort of get away from the crowds. It was like the first staff retreat, I guess. I don't know, but they kind of get away. And Jesus starts talking to the, to the disciples and Jesus asks them a question. He says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, uh, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets. But then of course, Jesus turns the question around and he says, who do you say I am? And the Bible tells us that only Simon, Simon stood up and Simon said, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the son of God. And this is what Jesus said to him. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You know, what do we learn from this? You know what Simon is doing? When Simon, when Simon says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, he is saying, you are my king. Jesus, you are my savior. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, I put my life in your hands. I trust you, you are my Lord. And that is what we say to Jesus when we're saved, right? We say, Jesus, you're, you're my Lord. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you can do what you say you can do. And, and, and he's making this confession of faith. And what does Jesus do? Jesus gives him a new name. Jesus gives him a new identity. Jesus makes him a new person. He says, you used to be Simon, but I'll tell you who you are now. You are Peter. I, which, you, are, you are the rock, not the rock, but you are rock. <laughs> and, and Jesus gives him a new name. Well, that's what happens when we accept Christ, is we make a confession of faith and Jesus gives us a new name. Jesus gives us a new identity. He gives us a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. And that is how we know he was 100% sincere. 
So how, I mean, I just want to ask the question. Jesus told, told him, Peter, upon this rock, upon this confession, I will build my church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. How does that person fail? How? Jesus has singled him out as a leader among the disciples. Jesus has singled him out as somebody that he loves very, very much. How could that person fail? He is a believer. He is, a, he is born again. He is a C. He is a C-H. He is a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And he has C-H-R-I-S-T-N is H-E-A-R-T. And he will L-I-V-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. He is a Christian. I just gave some of you a flashback to Vacation Bible School and Flannel Graph. I'm sorry, okay, but what I'm trying to say is he's a Christian, he's saved. He is as Christian as Christian can be, but he's going to fall flat on his face. I'm gonna tell you what happens next. In Matthew, uh, in Matthew 16, 21, Jesus tells the disciples, guys, I know we've had some amazing things happen, but I wanna tell you what's gonna happen. We're all gonna go to Jerusalem pretty soon. And when we go to Jerusalem, the elders and the chief priests, they're gonna, they're gonna do terrible things to me. And I'm gonna be arrested, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be killed, but on the third day, I will rise again. And Peter, let me just tell you right now, you know what Peter's biggest problem is? Anxiety. And I understand that because I have a terrible problem with anxiety. I can tell you a thousand ways something can go wrong before it even goes right. And um, Peter's anxious about this because Jesus keeps talking about dying and he's like, whoa, he's gonna die, what? what?" And then they, the disciples finally get to Jerusalem and they meet up at a house. We, they meet up at a house to have one last meal before the cross, it was the Last Supper. Some of you have seen the painting. And when they get to this meal, Peter's already apprehensive, but then Jesus makes him freak out again because Jesus talks once again about being betrayed and being arrested and dying. And, and Peter's just like, how? But it gets worse because they leave the house and suddenly Judas has mysteriously disappeared. So that's just making things worse. And they're leaving the house to go to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, Jesus takes Peter aside. And at this moment, they have the most difficult conversation of Peter's life. And this is the conversation. This is how it goes. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Man, why is it that we can be so in love with Jesus and yet fail so badly? Why? I just wanna make my first point of the message because eventually I need to make a point. Here's the first point of the message, and that's this. When you accept Christ, you get the gift of salvation, but you do not get the gift of invincibility or perfection. Can I say this one more time? When you accept Christ, you get the gift of salvation. You are saved, but you do not get the gift of invincibility or perfection. And here's the thing, you know why I know that? There's so many heroes in your Bible who wish that becoming a believer in God made them perfect. They wish, because if so, Eve wouldn't have eaten that apple, Noah wouldn't have planted that vineyard. 
Abraham wouldn't have doubted God's promise. Jacob wouldn't have cheated his brother. Moses wouldn't have struck the rock. Samson wouldn't have gotten a haircut. Saul wouldn't have tried to kill David. David wouldn't have successfully killed Uriah. Solomon wouldn't have forsaken his wisdom. Hezekiah wouldn't have bragged about money. And oh yeah, Jonah wouldn't have gone hitchhiking with Shamu. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is that when you accept God into your life, you get the gift of salvation, but you do not get the gift of invincibility or perfection. In fact, here's the thing. When we think we are invincible, that is when we are at our weakest. In the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark, we learn that Peter said something that Luke and John don't even mention. We learn that Peter said this. When Jesus confronted him, Peter said, even if everyone else falls to pieces, I won't. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter feels invincible. You know what Peter is telling Jesus? Peter is telling Jesus, I can handle this. I can handle this, I got this. I mean, I, Jesus, I have reached a level of spirituality that exempts me from the struggles of other people. Jesus, I have reached this level to where, uh, don't, don't worry about me, Jesus, I can handle this, I can handle this. I mean, I'm, the, I'm rock, you named me rock, right? I'm your rock, I'm, the, I'm, I'm rock, I can handle this. But what is P Jesus telling Peter? He's saying, Peter, I love you so much. I love you so much, but Peter, you cannot handle this. You cannot handle this. You know, how many times in our Christian life do we tell God, I can handle this, I can handle this, I can handle this, but then you get into the situation and you realize, I can't handle this, I can't handle this. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Peter. Because here's the thing, you and I, we can't, we can't carry ourselves. We can't carry ourselves, and Peter's about to figure this out really quickly, because Jesus was arrested that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was betrayed by Judas, and Jesus was led to be, he was led to the home of the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And while Jesus was in this phony trial, this kangaroo court where people were beating him and spitting on him and making fun of him, while this was happening to Jesus, the Bible tells us Peter was just outside the building in the courtyard. And when he's in the courtyard, a girl, a, a servant girl starts to talk to Peter and she says, hey, I, I, I think I recognize you. I, I, I think you were with Jesus, right? And without even thinking about the words coming out of his mouth, Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. Strike one. And then the Bible says that Peter, Peter decided to get a little bit away from the courtyard, so he goes over to where the gate is because he thinks maybe, hey, maybe there's less people over at the gate. But when he gets over to the gate, there's a, there's a different girl who works for Caiaphas, and when she sees him, she announces it to the world. She says, I know this man. He was with Jesus of Nazareth. I know this man. He was with Jesus of Nazareth. And this time, the Bible says that he swore. He said, I swear, I don't know the man. Strike two. And then all of a sudden, there's a whole crowd of people who have now been alerted to his presence, and they all start yelling at Peter and say, you have a Galilean accent. We all know you were with Jesus. It's obvious. We can see it. Just admit it. And at this point, Matthew actually tells us that he started using foul language and swearing, and he says, I'm telling you, I swear I don't know him. Strike three, and the rooster crows. 
And it's even worse because the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus was in the exact same place when, Jesus, when Peter makes this third denial. He must have been being led out by the guards. And Jesus is standing right there. And Luke says that he turned and looked at Peter right as he denied him a third time. And they shared this look, the two of them. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus turned and looked at Peter, that all of a sudden, the guy whose name means rock started crying. And he cried, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried some more. And the Bible says that he went away. Is there hope for Peter? Is there hope for Peter? Is there hope for any of us who are believers in Jesus Christ? We're Christians, and yet we still fail. Is there hope? I wanna spend the rest of this message talking to you about the fact that there is hope. And I wanna spend the rest of this message just laying out four reasons why failure is not the end for a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing I wanna talk about. Number one, Jesus knows you. This is the first point, because you gotta start here. You know, like, this is, this, is, this is where we start. Jesus knows you. When Jesus and Peter are having that conversation before Peter's denials, I think there's a purpose to that conversation. You know God doesn't waste any words. He doesn't waste any words. And, and Jesus is trying to communicate some things to Peter before he messes up. It's like Jesus is trying to get out ahead of this and try to, try to talk to Peter. And you know, what's, you know what's cool to me? Jesus tells Peter, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, I know what you're about to do. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Peter, I know you. I know you so well that I know what your weaknesses are. Peter, you have a weakness. You panic under pressure. I know your weakness. I've known you since, you know, Jesus is the only person who could say, Peter, I've known you since the day you were born. And Jesus saying, Peter, I know your weakness. You're gonna deny three times that you know me. But what else did Jesus say? He said, Peter, when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. And this is so good. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I know you well enough to know your weakness. I know you well enough to know where the devil is gonna come for you. But I also know you well enough to know how to bring you back again and how to make you whole again and how to make you strong again. Because Jesus is saying, Peter, I know you. I know you. Peter, I know you. And here's, here's my point. God can help you more than anyone else because he knows you more than anyone else. He knows you so well. Psalm 139 says, Psalm says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. Before, and, and, and this is why this is important. In, in today's world of social media, how many times do we go looking for our identity from people who don't even know us? I mean, confession is good in church. And so I'm gonna just confess this, that there's been times where I have given more weight to the opinions of random people than I have given to the God who, who, who knew my name before I was born. There's been times where I have listened so much to people who don't even know my name when I haven't listened to the God who knew my name before I existed. How, how crazy is it when you and I as Christians try to get our identity from the culture or try to get our identity from people who don't even know who we are? When my son, I'm gonna illustrate it this way. When my son Zeke was born, do you know what I didn't do? I didn't go down to the street in front of Newton Medical Center and say, hey, everybody, I'm taking a poll, all right? I'm taking a poll. I can't figure out what to name my son. I can't figure out who he is, and I need your help. Hey, everybody, hey, come over here, come over here. Hey, I need your help. 
So I want you all to write a name down on a sheet of paper, and I want you to all put it in this hat, and whichever name is the most commonly picked name, that is what I will name my son. I didn't do that. You know why? I'm his father. I'm his father. I'm the one who gets to tell him what his name is. I'm the one who gets to tell him who he is. I'm not just gonna let anybody name my son. I'm not just gonna let just anybody tell him who he is. I was the one that had the privilege and the honor of writing down on a sheet of paper, his name is Ezekiel Josiah Hoover. I'm the one who tells him his name. And, 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 I, and I, I don't know how to preach this, but I'm gonna try. When God sees you and I as believers in him, when he sees you and I try to get our name, try to get our identity from the culture, and we start caring about what the crowd thinks and what the crowd wants and what the crowd wants us to do and what they think of us, God looks down and he says, I, I cannot believe this. I'm the one who gives you your name. I, I was the one who told you who you are. I was the one who, who gave you your identity. Don't, I'm not just gonna let just anybody tell you who you are. I was, I'm your father. <laughs> I'm your father. I'm the one who tells you who you are. I'm the one who tells you who you are. And the reason why I say that is that when, as Christians, when we fail, the first thing Satan is going to do is he's going to try to come for your identity in Christ. That is the very first thing he will attack. And you know what he'll tell you? He'll tell you, he'll say, hey, that new name that you got from Jesus, that, that name, you forfeited that name. You gave it up. You used to care about what God said about you, but now all you are is what people say you are because you have forfeited that new name. And that seat at the family table that used to have your name on it, that seat is gone. But look at what Jesus said to Peter. Jesus said, Peter, Peter, when I know you're gonna deny me because I know you. But when you come back, when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. You know what Jesus is saying? Peter, when you come back from this, which I know you will, that new name, the name that I gave you, that identity that I gave you, that identity will not disappear just because you fail. That identity will not disappear. It'll be waiting for you. And he says, strengthen your brothers. You know what's significant about that? Jesus is saying, if you can strengthen your brothers, that means you will still be among your brothers. You will still be my disciple. You will still be my apostle. You will still be following me. And don't let Satan for one second tell you who you are. I tell you who you are. I give you your name, not them. And for any of us who go back to running with toxic people and doing toxic things, you need, to hear, you, need to, you need to hear God tell you today that he is the one who gives you your name, not them. He is the one who gives you your name. Jesus knows you. Here's the second thing, and I promise I'll move. Jesus is pleading your case. Look at what Jesus said. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. What does Jesus mean when he says pleaded in prayer? Oh, I wish I could preach in moments like this. When Jesus says, I have pleaded in prayer for you, you know what Jesus is saying? Peter, there is a courtroom in heaven, and in that courtroom, there is a prosecutor, and, is, and, and, and the, that prosecutor is the devil. You know the word devil means accuser? It's weird. He accuses you and I to God. The book of Job says that the devil accuses us to God, which is weird because he has a longer rap sheet than any of us. But he accuses us to God. And Jesus is saying, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you like wheat. What does that mean? It means that the devil is bringing up your name in that courtroom. And he's coming after you, Peter. He is coming after you with everything that he has. But Jesus is saying, Peter, there may be a prosecutor in that courtroom who wants, who wants you. But you also have a defense attorney in that courtroom. And guess who the defense attorney is? It's me. 
it is me. Because when you accept Jesus into your heart, not only does he become your savior, not only does he become your redeemer, he becomes your defense attorney in the court of heaven. He is making your case. He is pleading your case. And guess what? When Jesus is your lawyer, he has a 100% success rate, a 100% success rate. Because as long as Jesus is the attorney, the defendant is never guilty. In the courtroom of heaven, if you feel like you've really messed up right now, you need to know that in the courtroom of heaven, the prosecutor can yell and scream and he can name every last thing you've ever done. He can, he can get blue in the face naming every last thing you've ever done, but Jesus stands up and he says, Your Honor, I believe the prosecution has concluded his case and now it's my turn. And it's my turn to make my case. I offer my blood as evidence. I offer my church as witnesses. And I offer my word as testimony that the defendant is not guilty of the crimes to which they have been accused. And they are free to go. They are free to go. Here's the third point. Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling to you. If you've messed up and you feel like you're in a bad place today, you need to know Jesus is calling to you. I am gonna move very, very quickly. Here's the thing. So after Peter ran away crying from the courtyard, there was more pain that happened because the Bible tells us that Jesus had a false trial before Pilate. He had a phony trial before Herod and they, they tied him to a post and they whipped him and they beat him and they made him carry across to, to Calvary. And they drove nails into his hands and his feet and he died and he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And, and Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he said, Father, into your hands I release my spirit. And he paid for the sins of the world and three days later he rose from the grave conquering death and hell forever. He rose from the grave. But you know who wasn't at the cross? Peter. Because Peter thinks he's failed. And even though Jesus has now risen from the grave, Peter just continues to feel like a failure. He thinks, I blew it. I'm done. And you know what Peter does when he thinks that he's blown it? He does something that a lot of us do. He tries to go back to his old life. Because look at this. You know what Peter said? He said, hey, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. You know what that means? You know what, we know what that's code for. Peter is saying, I failed at being a disciple. I failed at being a Christian. I messed it up. I mean, I see other people that did it right. John was at the cross. Jesus talked to John on the cross, but John didn't deny he knew Jesus three times. I did. I'm done, I'm going, I'm going fishing, I'm going back to my old life. This is what's so sad. Peter gets back in his old boat. And in that boat, in that boat are things that are not good for him. Despair, feeling like a failure. And here's the thing, whenever you and I, when we fail God, even as Christians, you know what we can do? Sometimes we will get back in our old boat. And it's not a good boat, it's a terrible boat. It's a boat that we don't belong in. And there's, there can be some terrible things in that boat. Sometimes there's self-pity in that boat. Sometimes there's self-harm in that boat. Sometimes there's anger in that boat. Sometimes there's an affair in that boat. Sometimes there's cocaine in that boat. Sometimes there's opioids in that boat. Sometimes there are toxic people in that boat. And you know what you say to yourself after a while of being in that boat when you're a Christian? You know what you say to yourself? I hate this boat. I hate it. I don't belong here. And, if, and here's the thing, if you're, if you're in the boat today, if you're in the boat, which all of us have been in the boat, by the way, let's just unscrew the halos for a second, okay? We've all been in the boat. If, you've, if you're in the boat today and you say, I don't, 
feel as if I belong with these people anymore. I don't feel as if I belong doing, doing the, these drugs anymore. I don't feel like I belong making these decisions anymore. If you say to yourself, I don't belong here, you know why you said that to yourself? Because God is telling you, you don't belong here. He's saying, you don't belong here anymore. You're my child. You don't belong back in that boat. You belong with me. You belong with me. <laughs> and I find it interesting. The Bible says that when Peter was fishing in the boat, he caught no fish. <laughs> Isn't that true that when we get back in the boat, we don't catch anything? Like whatever we were hoping to get out of going back to our old life, we don't get anything out of it. And so now Peter is just in despair. He's lying down on that boat. And unfortunately, some of the other disciples are with him which that's a, that's a whole nother sermon for a different day. But some of the other disciples are with him and he's lying down in that boat and he's like, oh, I failed. I failed at failing. <laughs> I failed as a disciple and now that I'm a fisherman, I can't even be a fisherman anymore. I failed at failing. And so he's in despair and he just thinks his life is over, but then the night passes and the morning comes. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he hears this voice, this beautiful voice coming from the shore and it's a man, it's a man standing on the shore and he says, hey boys, have you caught anything? <laughs> and in unison, all the disciples say, no, we haven't caught a single thing. And he says, hey, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And when they cast their nets, Peter, Peter casts that net and then he feels this tug. And he thinks to himself, either there's a thousand fish in this net or I am really out of shape. He can't pull the fish out of the water. And all of a sudden, tears start coming down his eyes because he's saying, I know that voice. And he just, I could just see him in my mind where he's just almost giddy, he's so happy. He's just, he's almost giddy, he's so excited because he tells the other disciples, I, I, I remember the last time I couldn't pull the fish out of the water. I remember the last time he called to me when I was in a boat. I remember the last time he gave me a new name and he told me who I was and, and there he is, guys. Hey guys, do you see him standing on the shore? The one who called me Peter and said, you're not Simon anymore, you are Peter. Do you see him? The one who gave me a new name? Hey, he's over there and look at that, guys. He's, he's calling to me with the same enthusiasm and love as he called me the day I first believed. And here's the thing, if you're in the boat today, he's calling the same way to you. He's still calling you with the same enthusiasm and love as the day you first believed. And here's the thing, Peter is saying, just like the prodigal son when he said, I will arise and go to my father. Peter said, guys, it's been real. It's been fun, it's been real fun, but I am getting out of this boat, hallelujah, I am getting out of this boat. And he told the other disciples, he said, uh, you guys can bring the boat to shore, I'm jumping. <laughs> Peter's either all in or all out. He literally jumps out of the boat and he swims to Jesus. He's like, I'm not even gonna wait for this boat to get back to shore, that's my Lord, that's my Savior, I'm coming back, I'm coming home. And the Bible says that the Bible says that he and Jesus had a conversation and Jesus was cooking breakfast for Peter when he got back and Jesus said, Peter, I just wanna talk to you for a second. You and I, let's just talk. And Jesus, Jesus asks Peter the fundamental question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, Lord, I love you. And, and then Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And then Jesus asked again, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, I love you so much. And then Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And a third time, Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. What does Jesus mean when he says, feed my lambs? What was Peter made to do? He was made to be an apostle. He was made to be a preacher. 
And Jesus said, that, you, Jesus said, you know, I know you were fishing a second ago and you were back in that boat, but it's time for you to stop doing what you used to do and it's time for you to start doing what I made you to do. And if you're in a boat right now and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you feel as if you've messed up, Jesus is calling you today. He's calling to you and he's saying, hey, I know that lately you've been doing what you used to do, but by the, by, by the grace of God, I want you to start doing what you were made to do. It's time for you to come back. It's time for you to come home. That's what he's saying to you. And here's the fourth thing that you need to know. Jesus forgives you. Peter thought for sure that Jesus would never forgive him for denying him, and yet Jesus was saying, Peter, you were forgiven. Jesus died on a cross for that. I'm gonna tell one last story, because I know I'm already in overtime, but I just wanna tell you this story. Um, I'm, a, I, I'm a musician. I love to play piano. I'm not all that good, but I love to play. And uh, one of my favorite, I love, I, I particularly love gospel and I particularly love jazz. I love jazz. Jazz is like some of the coolest music in the world. And one of my, one of my favorite musicians, he plays trumpet. He's one of the greatest trumpet players who ever lived. His name is Wynton Marsalis. He's the king of trumpet, basically. This man can play trumpet better than anybody in the, in the whole world. And Wynton Marsalis, he was playing trumpet in a, uh, in a club in New York City. And he was playing an old jazz standard, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. It was a beautiful ballad. And he was just nailing it. And the crowd was spellbound because he was just playing it so beautifully. And note for note, every note was beautiful. And he got to the very end of the song. And right as he was about to finish the song, on the final note, somebody's cell phone went off. And immediately, everybody turned and looked at the guy which I kind of feel bad for this guy, but he just ran out. And here's the thing, that cell phone ring was cranked all the way up to 100%, and it was like one of those really annoying cell phone rings, like, doo, 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 you know, like really just frustrating. And, um, and, and, and there was a journalist who was there to cover Marsalis that night, and he was taking notes, and he wrote two words in his journal. He wrote, magic ruined. It ruined the song. It was a beautiful song, but it got ruined. And everybody expected Marsalis to be done. They thought he would get off stage and just end it. But he didn't. <laughs> he started playing the cell phone ringtone on his trumpet. <laughs> and not only did he play it, he played it note for note perfectly. And he started playing the do-do-do-do-do-do-do. But he, he added his own thing to it. He started turning that cell phone ringtone into jazz, and he started mixing it with jazz tunes and jazz standards, and, he, and then he changed keys, and then he modulated, and then he reharmonized it. He just went all around, and for 20 minutes, he, the, the journalist described it this way. The journalist said he wove glory out of goofiness, and I thought that was beautiful, but he just turned this into a beautiful song, and the crowd was just amazed because it was even cooler than what he was playing before the cell phone went off. And he finally came back around to the last stanza of I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. And he hit that final note and the crowd went wild and everybody stood up and they, were, they gave him like the longest standing ovation you can possibly imagine. And here's the thing. God can do the same thing in our lives because here's the thing. If, you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ who's in a bad place, here's something that I think I know about you. That when you first accepted Christ, I think God was playing a beautiful melody in your life. I'm sure he did some incredible things through you when you first believed. I'm sure he used you to touch other people's lives. Maybe you were sharing Bible verses and talking to other people about the glory of God. And, you were, and God was using you as an instrument to play his music. And he was doing incredible things. But then there was an interruption. 
there was something that made it stop. And now you think the music is done. You think, just like that journalist wrote Magic Ruined, you're like, Magic Ruined, I ruined it, I messed it up, it's over. But here's the thing that you need to know. The great composer is waiting for you to come back so he can finish the symphony that he played when you first believed. He is waiting for you to come back because he can weave glory out of goofiness. He can weave terrible things into a tapestry of grace and he's waiting for you to come back. And here's the thing, the music that he could play with you now may be even far greater than the music that was playing when you first believed because he loves you that much. He loves you that much. And that's exactly what happened with Peter. Peter said, hey, I've interrupted this and yet the master composer wove wove him back into a beautiful symphony and brought him back. Here's the thing, will you pray with me really quick? Heavenly Father, I just pray over every person in this room who feels like they failed somehow. Father, I pray that you would give them the same comfort and love that you gave to Peter. Father, we know that, we know that you are working in our lives and that you can take even the worst situation and turn it into glory. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room where Satan is telling them that they have lost their new name in you. Father, I pray that you would come alongside them and let them know that you are still there, that you are still available, and that they can still come back because you, you can work miracles in their life. I pray that over every person in this room who is in that, in that spot today. And for anyone here who hasn't accepted Jesus into your heart, maybe you've been saying, Stephen, you've been talking about a believer who's failed, who needs to come back. Well, here's the thing. This is what's so cool, is that, is that the God of all creation, you know, he sent his son to die on a cross for you. If you've never accepted him into your life, you can do that today. You can do that right now. You don't have to wait for tomorrow. You don't have to wait for next week because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. If, if that's you, I'm just gonna pray a prayer really quick. And these aren't magic words. These are just calling out to God saying, yes, I want you in my heart and I want you in my life. Let's pray really quick. Heavenly Father, I know I've done wrong things. I know I've messed up, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. Please come into my heart and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we have something that we wanna get to you. Um, This is a box that has a Bible in it and it's got some other things that can help you with your new walk with God. If you want this, you could go to the info center out here or info center by the student center and you can get this. But also what you can do is you can text text prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. You can just text prayed to 97,000 and we will get this to you. Thank you so much. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.